0: Tonight, President Biden and former President Trump dueling it out at the southern border. Trump saying the country's illegal immigration crisis is, quote, like a war, saying he'll conquer the issue like a military operation. Trump tying the migrant crisis to a spike in crime in the U.S. despite little evidence indicating the connection. President Biden slamming lawmakers for playing partisan politics after a border package was killed in the Senate. In a surprise move, the president offering an olive branch to Trump to join him in finding a solution. Can the situation realistically get fixed ahead of the 2024 election? Also tonight, dying for aid. Israeli forces opening fire on crowds surrounding an aid convoy. Israel claiming most casualties were trampled as crowds stormed the trucks. But Gaza's health ministry calling the incident a massacre. The victims shot with bullets as the death toll surpasses 30,000 since the war started. The chaotic and bloody situation pushing hopes for a ceasefire further into limbo. Deadly wildfire grows, a massive inferno in Texas exploding into the largest blaze in the state's history. Residents salvaging what they can from the piles of rubble, crews racing against the clock before dangerous high winds return. Where is Kate? Kate Middleton putting her royal duties on hold as she recovers from abdominal surgery. But the internet swirling with speculation after the Princess of Wales disappears from the public eye. The conspiracy theories forcing the tight lipped palace to finally release a statement. Plus, old school rules. Half of the global population is in the hands of leaders in their 70s and 80s, but it wasn't always the norm. With age at the top of mind for U.S. voters, how old is too old? And dad comes home, an Army National Guardsman giving his kids the surprise of a lifetime the touching moments after months of separation and his inspiring message to other service members. Top Story starts right now. And good evening. Former President Trump and President Biden both at the southern border. And tonight, President Biden with some political jujitsu making an offer to Trump. Immigration, of course, taking center stage in the lead-up to the 2024 election. The likely presidential frontrunners argued their case for who's to blame for the migrant crisis and what can be done about it. President Trump came right out of the gate taking a militaristic stance as he highlighted a surge in migrant crime, a claim not supported by national data, but Trump was quick to point the finger at Biden.
1: The United States is being overrun by the Biden migrant crime. It's a new form of uh, vicious violation to our country.
0: And to be clear, there have been some high-profile crimes recently done by migrants that have been accused of it. Just 300 miles away, though, in Brownsville, President Biden slammed congressional Republicans for failing to pass the bipartisan border agreement, accusing them of bowing to Trump's wishes. But in a surprise move, Biden making a direct appeal to Trump.
2: Instead of playing politics with the issue, why don't we just get together and get it done?
0: Here's a look at the border numbers from 2018 until now. It's hard to see, but there's been a surge since Biden took office. You can see that in the graphic, though, if you look closely. And that's what's driving discontent among Americans. An NBC poll finding an increase in voter support over Trump's handling in securing the border compared to Biden, who saw a nine-point decrease over his four years in office. We'll be breaking it all down, but first we start with NBC's Gabe Gutierrez on the southern border
2: criticism over his handling of the immigration crisis, President Biden making his second trip to the southern border while in office. It's real simple. It's time to act. Arriving in Brownsville, Texas, blasting House Republicans for tanking a bipartisan border security bill at the urging of former President Trump. It's the toughest set of border security reforms we've ever seen in this country. It's time for the speakers and some of my Republican friends in Congress for blocking this bill to show a little spine. The president with this message directly for Mr. Trump. Join me, or I'll join you, in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. Earlier, the Republican frontrunner landed about 300 miles away in Eagle Pass, Texas. This is a Biden invasion over the past three years. Arguing President Biden could end the crisis on his own, slamming what he calls Mr. Biden's lax border policies for causing it.
1: So we had remain in Mexico. Remember that? You can't come into our country. And we had no more catch and release. Our catch and release was we released them in Mexico.
2: Mr. Trump pointing to recent high-profile crimes allegedly committed by migrants, including the murder of Georgia nursing student Lakin Riley.
1: Joe Biden will never say Lakin Riley's name, but we will say it and we will remember it. We're not going to forget her.
2: An NBC News review of available crime data shows crime has dipped in cities that receive the most migrants. Should President Biden have gone to a different part of the border?
3: I believe so. I, I think it probably would have been best to go somewhere that's you know very busy, like uh, Arizona or California.
2: A record 8.6 million migrants have crossed into the U.S. since President Biden took office. The Border Patrol Union telling us Mr. Biden should not have reversed Trump border policies. They were very effective for us as Border Patrol agents in securing the border. An NBC News, poll shows 57% of Americans say Mr. Trump can best secure the border. Just 22% say Mr. Biden will. Beyond the political split screen, desperate migrants in Mexico wait to cross. Here in Brownsville, Monica from El Salvador waits for a bus with her three-year-old son. She tells us the journey was hard and that she spent four months waiting in Mexico for an appointment for an initial asylum screening through an app on her phone. Now, she's off to meet family in Houston, as the border battle in Washington intensifies.
0: Gabe Gutierrez joins us tonight live from Brownsville, Texas. Gabe, I want to ask you about that move from President Biden today that surprised so many, essentially offering an olive branch to former President Trump and saying, let's work on this together. Do we know what went behind
2: that sort of offer and what the sort of political play is there? Yeah, Tom, that was a bit of a surprise. You know, a campaign advisor, and I should note that this was an official trip, but a campaign advisor told NBC News that President Biden was coming here to the border. He was coming in hot. He essentially wanted to really create this contrast between himself and former uh, President Trump. And they wanted to maximize the political impact of this one week before the State of the Union. But Tom, you've been noticing in the last few days and weeks, ever since that bipartisan border bill st- uh, stalled in Congress, the Biden Administration has really taken a much, much more aggressive stance on immigration than it ever has before, but yeah, that moment today when the President extended that olive branch to Trump a little bit of a surprise, he certainly he wants to make it seem like he 's doing all he can to solve. Uh, this uh, this migrant crisis here at the border time. And
0: then, Gabe, you know, a Monmouth University poll came out earlier uh, this week, or it might have been last week. It had immigration as the top issue um, for Americans heading into this election. But it also found that just under half of the public had heard a lot about the immigration negotiations that were happening in Congress, and yet nearly half of respondents said both parties were equally responsible for blocking that bill. So there's, uh, when it comes to the American public, a lot that is unknown about that bill, and yet we heard the president talking a lot about the bill and sort of blaming politics and Republicans for part of this crisis, correct?
2: Yeah, Tom, it's going to be a fight for messaging over the coming months as we head into this election. We head to this main stretch Over the coming months, and look, the Biden administration for a while has not talked about uh, about the border. Democrats generally want to talk about other things. The campaign has said it wants to focus on reproductive rights, but those polls you mentioned, immigration has always been a very high priority for Republicans. Now Democrats are seeing an opportunity that this bipartisan border bill has stalled, and so they're trying to get in on this. And here in Texas, Tom, it is going to be a a huge issue in the coming months. could go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Just today, a federal judge temporarily blocked a controversial law here in Texas that would have allowed local police to arrest migrants suspected of coming into the state illegally. Now, the governor has said he will appeal. But as I mentioned, that could end up in the U.S. Supreme Court. And this issue of immigration will continue, no doubt, until November. Tom.
0: Right, Gabe. Thank you for that. Now to the latest on the war in Gaza, where Palestinians waiting for food aid were killed. According to the Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry, more than 100 lost their lives in this. One Palestinian eyewitness saying Israeli soldiers fired on those seeking aid before trucks even arrived. But Israel's, Israel's military refuting this saying many were killed by an initial stampede. This is coming as many Palestinians are on the brink of famine tonight. NBC's Raf
4: Sanchez has the latest. Tonight, bodies carried away on donkey carts after a deadly encounter while Palestinians gathered to receive humanitarian aid. But how it happened is in dispute. Our camera crew was there before 4 a.m. as hundreds of people came to the Gaza coast waiting desperately for the delivery of food. Israel's military saying this drone footage was taken soon after, showing a crowd surging around aid trucks. A Palestinian eyewitness tells NBC News Israeli forces started firing at people gathering in front of a checkpoint before the trucks arrived and kept shooting later as the crowd rushed towards the aid. The Hamas-run health ministry says more than 100 people were killed, hospitals flooded with gunshot victims. But Israel's military saying many died not from Israeli bullets but in a stampede around the trucks and that Israeli troops only opened fire later at a specific group threatening their position. DO YOU HAVE ANY EVIDENCE TO SUPPORT YOUR CLAIM THAT THIS CROWD POSED A THREAT TO ISRAELI TROOPS?
2: IF YOU APPROACH ARMED SOLDIERS IN A WAR ZONE AND THERE IS A THREAT AND THEY FIRE WARNING SHOTS IN THE AIR, THE BEST THING TO DO IS TO TURN AROUND AND WALK AWAY.
4: AND TONIGHT, THE U.N. WARNING THAT ONE IN FOUR GAZANS ARE JUST A STEP AWAY FROM FAMINE. MUSA IS SIX MONTHS OLD, BARELY OLDER THAN THIS WAR but in his tiny body, signs of a short life with little food. In a sense, he's lucky. Doctors say eight other children died this week from malnutrition and dehydration, all at this one hospital. Not far away, Samia Masri trying to feed her kids by frying pancakes out of barley feed meant for donkeys. Her children dodging bullets to find firewood. Words can't describe the tragedy we're living in, she says. All
0: right, Raf Sanchez joins us tonight from Tel Aviv. Raf, I want to go back to the top of your report there. It sounds like there's two differing accounts about how all these people in Gaza died. Is there any evidence, and I know it's the fog of war, and this is still very early, but is there any evidence supporting
4: one side's version over the other? So, Tom, in terms of the Palestinian narratives, we do know that hospitals in northern Gaza saw an absolute influx of gunshot victims, which would appear to support the Palestinian claim that Israeli forces opened fire into the crowd itself. There's some video supporting that an eyewitness we spoke to said it is possible that as the israelis said some people were crushed potentially killed in a stampede but he says if that happened, it would have been because people were running away from israeli gunfire it's worth saying, I asked the Israelis in detail, do you have drone footage? Do you have head camera footage from soldiers that supports this claim that the crowd was threatening your position and they say they have nothing to release?
0: And Raf, you know, you smartly point out in your piece there The president here in the United States obviously saying that there could possibly be a ceasefire on Monday. Now with this mass casualty incident, I I, I can't see how that's going to happen, but we're going to have to wait and see. He still sounds hopeful. You mentioned that one in four Palestinians are now a step away from famine. Will we see an increase in aid
4: to prevent that from happening? So a U.S. official actually confirms to NBC News the Biden administration is considering airdropping more aid to Palestinians, especially in northern Gaza. That, Tom, honestly, from the perspective of experts, is something of a bandage on a bleeding wound here. They say it's not just the volume of aid getting into Gaza that's the problem here. They say there needs to be a ceasefire for them to effectively get the aid to where it's needed. They say that in northern Gaza, where most of those people who are on the brink of famine are concentrated, the issues are Israeli military restrictions and the complete collapse of law and order. And honestly, you see both of those factors at play in this incident today, where aid has to go through Israeli checkpoints, and on the other side of those checkpoints, facing just enormous crowds of desperate people. Raf Sanchez for us tonight. Raf,
0: thank you. And staying overseas, American ballerina Ksenia Karlina will remain behind bars after a Russian court denied her appeal for release today. This has Russian President Vladimir Putin issued a stark warning to Western countries in his State of the Nation address, saying they're risking global nuclear war if they send their own troops into Ukraine. NBC's Kier Simmons has new reporting tonight.
5: Tonight, a glimpse of Russian-American Kestnia Karolina appearing in a Siberian court via video link, now facing another month in prison after her appeal was rejected. The former ballerina who lives in California is accused of treason for raising money for a Ukrainian charity, less than $52. Her boyfriend in Los Angeles speaking to NBC News after the hearing. She's innocent. She's a normal person. $51. Come on. So many thoughts must be going through your mind about what it must be like for her.
6: They get to shower once a week, which is painful. Um,
5: They get a book once a week to read a book. Um, They get porridge to eat. While she was in court, President Putin delivering a stark two-hour speech. Once again, threatening the West after France's President Macron recently suggested NATO could send ground troops to Ukraine to fight Russia. We, too, have weapons that can hit targets on their territory, Putin said. This really threatens a conflict with nuclear weapons. President Putin's speech shown on giant screens around Moscow, highlighting recent Russian military advances in Ukraine, though the battlefield remains largely unchanged. Putin calling a minute's silence for soldiers, he said, who are going through the furnace of war. Keir Simmons joins Top Story
0: tonight from London. Kier, you had the chance to speak to the boyfriend of Ksenia Carolina. Did he tell you what steps he and the family are currently taking to get her out of Russia? I mean, I, I can't
5: imagine what they're going through. I know, right, Tom? Listen, first of all, what he's doing is talking to as many people as he possibly can and making the case that effectively she's just an innocent person uh, who made a donation uh, to a Ukrainian charity, uh, but a very small donation, that she's not a politician, that that she's not a campaigner. So that's one aspect of it. He also told me, Tom, uh, that her dad went to the court today and actually gave an interview there. So it looks as if uh, the family, who are in Russia, are trying themselves to see what they can do to try and uh, get her uh, released. Uh, but as uh, as we've mentioned, uh, she now will uh, hear again from the court uh, in April, so another month in-, in prison. If we look at other cases like Evan Gershkovich, of course, the U.S. journalist, he's now been in prison for almost a year. So I think uh, her boyfriend is... He says hopeful, uh, but also uh, realistic about the chances that she's going to be released anytime soon.
0: No, you, you mentioned Evan there. We can't forget Paul Whelan as well. And you just wonder if Putin is essentially collecting right. these bargaining chips. We'll learn more, hopefully, in the near future. How real? Because it really struck me what you had in your report there about Macron talking about troops, NATO troops, possibly heading to, to uh, get into Ukraine. Is that something that that's really under consideration,
5: even the U.S. sending troops? You know, Tom, when the French president said that in a speech earlier in the week, it made headlines and it stunned a lot of people uh, there is now get this an argument between the Germans the French and the British be- because the chancellor of Germany uh, has said that there are already French and British troops uh, inside Ukraine uh, that is that has upset the the French and the British uh, government. And then you asked, you asked the question about, about NATO. Well, we had an in-depth report from uh, the New York Times uh, over the weekend uh, that suggested that uh, there is a, 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 a large uh, C, uh, CIA influence, if you like, uh, inside uh, Ukraine. So, look, there is the rhetoric And then there is uh, the reality. But, of course, the worry, and it will have been underscored by what we heard from President Putin today, the worry, even after two years, continues to be that there could be a clash between Russian forces and NATO forces and what kind of escalation that would lead to.
0: Keir Simmons for us from London tonight. Keir, we thank you for that. We want to turn back home here to the deadly wildfire scorching the Texas Panhandle. We told you about this last night. It's now burning more than 1 million acres, and only 3% of it is contained. It's now the largest fire in the state's history. NBC's Guadvenagas is
7: on the ground in Texas again with the latest. Tonight, the Texas Panhandle engulfed in a deadly ring of fire. As firefighters race to beat back the flames of what is now the largest wildfire in the Lone Star State's history. The Smokehouse Creek is the biggest of four active wildfires now ravaging the state. It's already burned through more than a million acres, leaving apocalyptic scenes like this in its wake. Entire neighborhoods reduced to rubble. For Paul Blake Ship, home won't ever be the same. The flames took his mother, Joyce. They had already blocked the roads off, so I wasn't able to get in there too hard. The colossal blaze is just 3% contained. Today, a surreal scene in Fridge, Texas, freezing temperatures led to a snow flurry coating the ashes. It's a help to firefighters still extinguishing hot spots, but the weather may not stay helpful for long. It's basically
2: a product of low relative humidity, dry fuel conditions, and really, really high winds.
7: This was my art studio. It's already too late for Melanie McQuitty. Her home is gone. Now she's worried about the historic hotel she manages.
8: I looked at my house. I said goodbye and thank you because I knew that I was not going to return.
7: Until the flames subside, the hotel is putting up fire crews and evacuees. For now, the fire rages across these vast farmlands, scorching crops and forcing some farms to release their cattle to escape the
6: blaze. Really going to hurt, and all the ranchers around, it, it's going to be devastating for our community.
7: With more high winds forecast in the coming days, this battle is far from over. All right, Guad Venegas joins us tonight, live from Canadian, Texas. So, Guad,
0: our officials hopeful they will get this contained anytime soon. I know we heard that shockingly no number, around 3%. Are we looking at any more days this could get out of control?
7: Well, Tom, things have changed. The weather here is much colder. We had precipitation. We had snow and rain in some parts of North Texas. And we have more resources coming uh, to this part of the state because they changed that preparedness level from two to three. More resources will be allocated, but they also have federal firefighters on the way. Plus, President Biden says they're sending in air tankers, small planes, and helicopters to help fight those wildfires. So all of that is expected to help. But forecasters do say that by the weekend, they expect the heavy winds to come back, which will make things much more difficult. So we'll have to wait and see how things turn out in the next few days, Tom.
0: All right, yeah, that wouldn't help them at all. All right, Guad Venegas there first. Guad, stay safe. And as those wildfires continue to rip through the Texas panhandle, red flag warnings are in effect across the central plains with gusty winds threatening more rapid fire spread. And we're also following a major snowstorm. Look at this. This is in the west, moving over the Sierra Mountains. You can see it here. This is Truckee, California, already met with blizzard-like conditions. We have NBC meteorologist Bill Karens in studio tracking it all for us. Bill, start us off, please. Yeah, we were happy with the snow this morning over the fire zone in North Texas, but that's it. I mean, over the next seven days, we're talking drips in the bucket, so we can forget about any rain being helpful. So how about these winds? Starting tomorrow, the winds are really going to pick up, especially in the afternoon. This is the area where uh, Guad was just located, uh, Canadian, Texas. 27-mile-per-hour winds are expected tomorrow. Amarillo around 36, southern Kansas into the 40s. And Saturday is expected to be even windier. And for that reason, they've already issued an elevated risk of brush and grass. Fires in this region. Of course, fritches where about 100 homes already burned. So this is the area where this huge blaze has been, and they're uh, anticipating a very dangerous weekend ahead. All right, Bill Cairns for us. Bill, thank you. Still ahead tonight, a major update on the battle over IVF in Alabama. The state House and Senate both passing bills to protect patients and providers after the Supreme Court there ruled embryos should be considered children. Plus, a dramatic rescue in California after a man drove off a cliff how long he was stranded there before help arrived. And where is Kate Middleton? Conspiracy theories exploding as the Princess of Wales recovers from abdominal surgery. The statement just released from the palace to try and tame speculation. Ellison Barber is on the case with us. She's coming up right after this.
2: Hey guys, Willie Geist here, reminding you to check out the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. On this week's episode, I get together with seven-time Grammy winner Casey Musgraves to talk about the inspiration for her new album, the process she uses to write those beautiful songs, and finding success while bucking convention in Nashville. You can get our conversation now for free wherever you download your podcasts.
9: not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did.
8: I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Back down with the question many online are asking Where is Kate Middleton? The Princess of Wales underwent abdominal surgery in the middle of January, and officials said she would be taking time away from the public eye until Easter. However, there have been few updates on her recovery, and when Prince William suddenly withdrew from his godfather's memorial service this week, the conspiracy theories exploded on social media. Ellison Barber has the palace's response just in.
10: It's the question going viral on social media. I'm sorry, but where is kate middleton
11: everyone wants to know where is
4: kate middleton
10: kate middleton the princess of wales has become the latest focus of online conspiracies as she remains out of the public eye following abdominal surgery
8: nobody has seen kate nobody has heard from kate
10: kate was reportedly last photographed on christmas day during the royal family's annual christmas walk to church in sandringham then On January 17th, Kensington Palace announced Middleton is recovering from a planned abdominal surgery and that the wife of Britain's future king would be taking a step back from public duties until after Easter, March 31st. The same day, it was also announced that Prince William's father, King Charles III, was also in the hospital to undergo a corrective procedure. On January 29th, Kensington Palace announced Kate had returned home from the hospital no images of her were released. Also, on January 29th, King Charles is seen leaving a London hospital.
9: When there's a vacuum of information, people start coming up with their own ideas and their own thoughts about what might be going on, almost like a conspiracy theory. <inaudible>
10: Fueling the speculation this week, it was reported Kate's husband, Prince William, pulled out of a memorial service for his godfather because of a, quote, personal matter. This sparked a social media firestorm. The hashtag, Where is Kate began trending.
9: The alarming thing about uh, Kate's surgery and recuperation is the length of time that we are not seeing her out and about. Three months for anybody, let alone a young, fit woman. Minnie also asking why there have been few updates on Kate's health, prompting
10: a spokesperson for Middleton to release a statement Thursday saying she is, quote, doing well. And that kensington palace made it clear in january the timelines of the princess's recovery and we'd only be providing significant updates that guidance
9: stands there isn't anything untoward because we were told not to expect to see kate and we're not seeing kate the thing that people have been surprised about is not the fact that we haven't seen kate but that we haven't had more updates about how her rehabilitation and recuperation is going to make it clear There have been no
10: reports suggesting that any of the online conspiracies are true. But both Kate and Charles' recent health matters have reopened the debate about transparency surrounding the royal family.
9: The royal family is under absolutely no constitutional obligation to disclose information about the health of members of the royal family. Until we see the Princess of Wales again, the online community
10: will likely stay abuzz.
0: With that, Ellison Barber joins us now live in studio. So, Ellison, you know, the royal family had sort of been more transparent. We learned of King Charles' diagnosis, his cancer diagnosis. And then this happened to Kate Middleton, and we were informed. The public was informed. But they've gone kind of quiet since then. Do we think they're going back to their old ways, or do we think this might just be a a personal matter with Princess Kate?
10: That is sort of the big question, right? Because you have these two stories happening at the same time. And on the one hand, the royal family and King Charles were being praised for being more open, more transparent about his medical process. But when you look at the details they released, even with that, they said he had cancer. They didn't say what kind. They didn't say what stage he was at. So I think we're seeing this debate sort of play out in real time about what the public thinks they have a right to know and what the royal family is going to give them. And there is this situation where under King Charles, they have talked about this being a more modern era. And Prince William and Kate, they've sort of been at the forefront of modernizing the royal family. So for people not to have this information now, they think they should. And the Internet will be the Internet.
0: Right. One thing we know for sure when we do get to the bottom of it, we know you'll <laughs> be right back here telling us what happened. All right, Ellison, thank you for that. Coming up, the latest edition of our NBC News series, The Deciders. Some African-American voters who spoke to NBC News saying they don't want to vote for President Biden or former President Trump. Why, this could be bad news for both parties. Okay, back now with Top stories, newsfeed, and an update tonight. The Alabama Senate and House have passed bills to protect in vitro fertilization, or IVF. The bills are intended to create specific protections that shield patients, doctors, and other professionals engaged in IVF services from prosecution and civil suits in the state. It comes after many fertility clinics and hospitals in Alabama paused IVF treatments after the Alabama Supreme Court Ruled frozen embryos, embryos are considered human beings. A California man was rescued after he was dangling in his car at the bottom of a cliff for two days. New video showing that driver waving a white flag to try and get the attention of rescuers. A helicopter crew managing to airlift him to safety. Officials say he dove over the edge in California's Big Sur after swerving to avoid hitting a deer co-worker reported him missing prompting the search he was taken to a local hospital he's gonna be okay and a restaurant booth made famous on the Sopranos is going up for sale remember this the Bloomfield diner and ice cream parlor listing the booth on eBay following announcements they will be replacing the 60 year old furniture The booth was famously seen as the last place the Soprano family visited before the screen cut to black in the show's finale, you may remember. The auction is currently over $33,000 and doesn't close for four days. Okay, now to power and politics and the latest edition of our NBC News series, The Deciders, a focused group of black voters in North Carolina giving us a new look into their community's views on both President Biden and former President Trump. Many of them strongly dislike both candidates, a type of POLITICAL DOUBLE HATER THAT COULD COST DEMOCRATS A CRUCIAL VOTING BLOCK, NBC NEWS WASHINGTON CORRESPONDENT Yamish ALCINDER HAS A STORY.
8: TONIGHT, THE MAJOR WARNING FOR BOTH PRESIDENT BIDEN AND FORMER PRESIDENT TRUMP FROM A DEMOGRAPHIC THAT MAY PROVE CRITICAL IN THE 2024 ELECTION, BLACK VOTERS, A NEW FOCUS GROUP IN NORTH CAROLINA TELLING NBC NEWS MANY OF THEM WILL NOT VOTE FOR TRUMP, BUT THEY'RE NOT THRILLED ABOUT BIDEN EITHER a political phenomenon known as double haters. First thing that comes to mind, President Biden.
9: Old. Fake.
2: Incompetent. I look at him as kind of smug and entitled. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Donald Trump? Crazy. Powerful.
8: He's definitely racist. The NBC News Deciders Focus Group, a collaboration with Engages, Syracuse University, and Sago, finding that despite the black community's historic support for President Biden, these voters now have major
9: reservations. A lot of the things that they say are for blacks and for everybody, but they'll just say it's for blacks in the beginning. I feel
8: like some of this is
9: performative.
8: The panelists at times struggling to name anything President Biden had done for the black community. We all don't go to HBCUs. What are you doing for black students? not just HBCUs. Presented with the White House's messaging on Biden's work for the black community, the group panned his efforts to broadcast his accomplishments. I think that it's all political mumbo jumbo. Despite their harsh words for President Biden, most said they would vote for him. The group left some of their most biting criticism for former President Trump. He's sexist. He's delusional. He's old as hell. Oh, I'm sorry. He's very old especially over his recent remarks about the black community. Then I got indicted a second time and a third time and a fourth time. And a
1: lot of people said that that's why the black people like me because they have been hurt so badly and discriminated against.
8: That's probably one of the most racist comments he's ever made. It feels like he thinks we're all criminals. It's like an insult. It's like, are you serious? That's what you think of us?
11: What do all of you make of some Republican backers of Trump? who say that Trump's
0: marketing of sneakers appeals to Black voters. It's like a joke,
8: taking us, taking us, not taking us seriously. President Biden has always massively outperformed Trump among Black voters. He pulled ahead of Trump by nearly 60 percent in January's NBC News poll. But compared to where those numbers sat in the 2020 exits, his hold on the Black vote is starting to slip. North Carolina, the state these voters call home, is in play in 2024 and could be the difference between re-election and a historic defeat for the president. Now the rise of the double haters raising a critical question. Will the black voters who have been in Biden's corner for years show up for him one more time in the most important election of his life?
0: Yamiche joins us tonight from Washington. Yamiche, you always learn something when you hear from these focus groups, and we saw there in your piece voters mentioned being concerned about the ages of both Trump and Biden, but it's been more of a political liability for President Biden so far in this race. Was this group more concerned about one
8: or the other on the age question? these voters were certainly more concerned about President Biden's age than former President Trump. Some in the group even said they wondered whether someone else was pulling the strings in the White House because they saw President Biden as too old to lead. And 12 out of the 14 people who participated in this focus group said they voted for President Biden in 2020. Now, just nine of them say they would vote for him again. That is worrisome for President Biden because in a tight race, he's going ha- to want to really turn out every voter who supported him in 2020 and grow his numbers to ensure a victory and based on these focus groups, he has a lot of work to do with black voters who are really not that excited about voting for him and feel like really they're just voting against Donald Trump. Tom?
0: Yamish Alcindor for us tonight. Yamish, we always appreciate all your reporting. Thank you. Next tonight, an article in the Wall Street Journal caught our eye along the lines of what Yamish was just talking about the ages of our leaders. The piece titled, Old Leaders Run the World and They're Not Going Anywhere, highlights the age of eight of the world's most populous countries. In it, it says a decade ago, just one of the world's 10 most populous countries, India, had a leader who was 70 or older. Today, eight of them do, putting at least half the global population in the hands of people in their 70s and 80s. And take a look, both the president of Mexico and China are 70 years old. The president of Nigeria and Russia are 71. The Indian prime minister is 73. The president of Bangladesh is 76. In Brazil, the president there, 78. And right here in the U.S., Biden is the oldest at 81. Joining us is the author of that piece, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, John Emont, and NBC News medical contributor, Dr. Tara Narula. John, I'm going to start with you. A great story, like we said, it caught our eye here. So do we know why, can you answer why so many of the world's leaders are so old?
3: Yeah, well, there are a lot of... Different reasons, And these are a lot of different political contexts. But there are some commonalities. So one, obviously, medical technology means that people can live for longer and healthier. And so older leaders have the choice often whether they want to stay or go. A few years ago, maybe they wouldn't have had as much of a choice. Uh, the other big issue is that the barriers to entry for younger politicians uh, ENTERING IS is MUCH HIGHER IN MANY COUNTRIES THAN IT USED TO BE. IN A DEMOCRACY, YOU HAVE TO RAISE A LOT OF MONEY IN ORDER TO BECOME uh, A LEADER. AND WHAT THAT MEANS IS THAT YOU TEND TO NEED TO BE NETWORKED AND OLDER, THEREFORE, SO THAT YOU CAN, YOU KNOW, ATTRACT ALL OF THAT SUPPORT. Tara, um, yeah, Tara, anecdotally, we, we hear a
0: lot about people at work saying that that there's a lot of people that are older that are still in the workforce. Right. Some people, you know, in America, they don't want to retire. They don't have to, um, unless, of course, they're forced out. Is there a reason why, at least in our country, Americans are working longer? Is it because we're living longer? Is it because technology is making things easier?
12: Yeah, I mean, I think he hit the nail on the head in terms of the technology. Certainly, we're able to pick up on things earlier. We have great screening tests and also prevention. I mean, in my world of cardiovascular disease, so much of what we've done to improve longevity and reduce mortality and morbidity has. To do with picking up on things early, getting people on aspirin and statins and blood pressure medicine. So people are definitely living longer. They're more active now, too. Um, and I think we see that in the age of our leaders.
0: You know, John, even here in the U.S., because I think a lot of times the U.S. Can, can sort of be a leader for the rest of the world, right? There was a time when you think of people like JFK, President Obama, uh, even President George W. Bush, who, you know, I remember videos of him, you know, bench pressing in the White House. Uh, people liked young, vigorous leaders. They liked that energy. But now we have President Biden going up against former President Trump. And we got to remind our viewers, they beat all the young bucks that ran against them, right? They, they, they earned those spots. Do we think it's more of a thing of experience or name recognition with the trend that's happening here in the U.S.? I mean, we just, we just reported yesterday Mitch McConnell is going to step down uh, as, as the highest ranking Republican in the Senate as the minority leader. He's 82, I believe
3: right so so I think you're right that experience uh, means a lot to voters and also it's just if you've run a lot of political campaigns and you have a lot of connections you know as you get older if you're still healthy you know you can use those resources to to uh, to your advantage but there are a lot of problems in the American political system that mean that younger leaders don't necessarily get a chance to rise. So for example, primary voters tend to be quite a bit older than voters in general elections. So that means that the people who are choosing who the candidates are, are older than the electorate as a whole. So that might be something that biases us towards uh, older candidates. Uh, so there there are a lot of little things, like um, incumbency advantages are so enormous in the United States that it's there aren't that many new opportunities new openings for ambitious young people to actually get involved in national politics. So, yes, you're right, I think, that Biden and Trump, I mean, they they won, and that means that they do appeal to a lot of people, and we should remember that and think about why. Dr. Yeah. All- Dr. Narula, you
0: know, we, we obviously didn't have you on here to talk about politics. Um, <laughs> you're, you're a cardiologist. Yes. Is it smart that we have all these older men And I don't don't say that, you know, with with, with, with anything bad there, Um, but is is there a danger that that all these older men are ruling all these countries?
12: I mean, Tom, I have patients who are in their 80s and are, you know, fit and totally with it and working. My father's a cardiologist and practicing at 86, and I have patients who are in their 50s and 60s who are not in the same shape. So I think just looking at age alone really can't tell you about somebody's ability to do their job. I will say when you think about, you know, factors that go into somebody's fitness, you look at, you know, their physical ability. Abilities, what their physical exam is like, what are their laboratory data look like, um, the leading causes of death. We think about cardiovascular disease and we think about cancers. And so that's really what, you know, I was looking at when they released the report yesterday. You know, how does he check off in terms the, of those the, the
0: physical on, on President body? And, and it's my understanding you wish there was a cognitive test or you found it strange that there wasn't a part that there was a
12: cognitive test? I think I will say, you know, that what, again, what people look at is somebody cardiovascularly fit, right? That's the leading threat in terms of what they released on him. His blood pressure looked pretty good. His cholesterol numbers look good. He has sleep apnea, which he's controlling. He has atrial fibrillation and irregular heart rhythm, is on a blood thinner for that. So, the the biggest risk with that would be bleeding. Um, And really, no other major medical issues other than acid reflux. Um, No significant cancers. His laboratory data was good. So, you know, all in all, that looked good. But but I will say the big black box is cognitive function, right? You can't tell that from a physical exam. You need cognitive testing. You would potentially need brain imaging. And so, that still remains as a question mark And, and, and a real one for people who are asking the question about fitness. And
0: if you're leading in your late 70s, into your 80s, into your mid 80s, you're also relying on a lot of people, right? Because at that point, it is it is hard just to be independent, both physically, I would think, and cognitively.
12: Again, it depends on the person. You know, There are older people who are able to take care of everything in their lives. They don't need other people yeah. to assist them. And then there are those who the decline is you know, much more visible and they do need the support. So it really is very variable. It is.
0: John, what did you find from your reporting and kind of looking at this from all over the world? Do we know why the trend is is the same in other countries? I mean, in our hemisphere and and across the globe?
3: Well, again, there are a lot of different countries, different political systems. So China and Russia, it's easy enough to know why they've got leaders in their 70s. Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin are dictators who have managed to, you know, uh, outmaneuver rivals and stick around. It's different in democracies. Uh, But in in democracies, I think one of the key reasons is just you need a lot of money to be successful in politics and to get people to back you. Uh, It helps to have experience and for them to think that you're really sort of a proven commodity. And so that's something that I think benefits older politicians in a lot of different countries. John, Dr. Narula, we thank you so much for being here on Top Story. All right, coming up on The
0: Americas, taking you to the front lines and the high seas where Ecuador's military is cracking down on cartels, seizing drugs being smuggled into North America. Stay with us. Back now with Top Stories Global Watch and a check of what else is happening around the world. We start in Nicaragua, where the government there is being accused of crimes against humanity once again. A panel of U.N. experts say a years-long investigation uncovered evidence of high-ranking officials, including President Daniel Ortega, targeting anyone or any groups they deemed as opposition. Nicaragua has been known for cracking down on anti-government protesters and have even arrested members of the Catholic Church. A massive fire just outside of Milan clouding the city with smoke. Take a look. New drone footage shows a warehouse engulfed in flames, sending smoke billowing into the air and causing its roof to collapse. The building reportedly stored plastics. Authorities say the fire spread to a surrounding building. Luckily, though, no one was hurt. It's unclear what caused that fire. And Canada bringing back visa requirements for Mexican nationals visiting the country. Officials announcing the new rule in an effort to combat migrants crossing into Canada illegally. The immigration minister also called on the U.S. to take action on those illegally crossing into Canada from the U.S., The change won't apply to Mexican nationals who currently have a valid work or student visa in Canada. Okay, turning now to the Americas, where Ecuador's Navy has joined the effort to crack down on gangs who are trafficking massive quantities of drugs to North America. One recent bus bringing in one and a half tons of cocaine from a speedboat. Sky News chief correspondent Stuart Ramsey joins one military patrol off the Galapagos Islands.
6: (laughs) Armed marines board fishing boats off Esmeraldas on Ecuador's Pacific coast. These intercepts are constant and part of the country's crackdown on cartel and gang activity. They're looking for drugs being smuggled to North America and abnormally large quantities of fuel the smugglers need for the journey north or signs of piracy. What they're looking for is not just necessarily drugs. Oh no, no, no. But it can actually be fuel as well, so some of the small fishing vessels can have um, fuel which will then be given to the fast boats that the drug users or the drug smugglers use. These are fairly random checks just to see if the paperwork's correct or not. An interceptor speedboat is launched on the move from a Coast Guard cutter as more marines begin another Pacific Ocean patrol. This crew is looking for bigger and faster drug-smuggling vessels that use these waters. We're sailing off the Galapagos Islands, its seas rich with marine life. But the drug dealers aren't interested in this place, they don't even come ashore. Rather, they seek the quieter waters to the south of the Galapagos with less maritime traffic. We join Commander Xavier Rubio's team on one of their regular patrols on the cutter Isla Isabella. His crew recently captured a smuggler boat with one and a half tons of cocaine on board with a street value of $200 million in Europe. Air Force surveillance cameras show the interceptor boat closing in on the smugglers. They maneuver into the target vessel's wake at high speed. They're using the waves as cover. The smugglers at this point don't know they're there. Then they're spotted, and the smugglers attempt to accelerate away. But the Coast Guard anticipate the move and overtake them and cut across its bow. The Marines board the vessel, arrest the crew, and uncover their illegal cargo a lot of people have discussed and i've I've been reading about recently is that people who are using cocaine in in north america or using cocaine in europe and using cocaine in the uk which is one of the big users have no idea that it comes from somewhere and where it comes from there are gangs there's poverty there's murder there's death people don't think about the consequences
13: i don't know if people think about that but we know that is one of the biggest business in the world and um, where the money is involved, with, bad people is involved with it.
6: South American governments like Ecuador see taking the fight to the cartels and the gangs as their own war on terror. It will cost a fortune. This country sees this war as an actual fight for its survival. Stuart Ramsey Sky News, Ecuador.
0: When we come back, an emotional reunion months in the making. A father serving overseas in Afghanistan and the moment he got to surprise not one, but two of his children while they were at school. That's all coming up next. Back now with a special story on this leap day, February 29th, a day that only comes around once every four years. Babies born today will get just one-fourth of the birthdays that all of their friends get. Well, not really, but sort of. Tonight, George Solis has the story of one of those so-called leapers
11: now delivering the next generation of these unique newborns. While many of us may prefer not to work on our birthdays, New Jersey delivery room doctor Eric Grossman leaps at the opportunity in more ways than one. Uh, leap year birthday is pretty unique. You see, he was born on leap year day, 1972. We did the math. That means today he turns 13. I'm actually going to be the same age as my youngest kid this year. The good doctor is actually 52. And while delivering babies is special, this day, which comes around every four years, is particularly magical. And
3: I think it makes some parents anxious, uh, but I've always thought it was fun. And uh, and
11: for me, um, I think it's nice to bring other... Leap your babies into the world. This is the doctor today at Virtua Voorhees in New Jersey. After helping deliver baby Lucas, the hospital welcoming more than a dozen babies at this location alone, including the Parker twins.
8: I just feel like we're blessed. It's, it's kind of hard to have twins and just to have them and then have them on a date like that is like an unusual blessing. It's it's unusual and the Scotia is very special.
11: Right there, in their literal corner, February, Dr. Grossman with an answer to their first dilemma, what day do you celebrate the next birthday? Uh, my own
3: parents threw a party for me on the 28th and, and on March 1st. So you get yes. the yeah.
8: best okay.
11: Also joining in on the Leap Day lore, little baby Russell.
8: We'll let him pick what day he wants to celebrate,
9: if it's the 28th or the 1st, and other than that.
5: He gets to age a little slower than yeah. everybody else, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is yeah. a win.
11: Around the country today, many others took part in this extra added calendar day celebration. Babies are in their little frog hats. This is so cute adorable
4: brother and sisters were like wow He's only gonna have a birthday every four years
11: our friends of the today show even throwing a birthday party for grown-up leapers
8: How does it feel being 12? I was great. <laughs> yeah yes. I'm a, I'm a yes.
11: Back in New Jersey, dr. Grossman remains hard at work tonight Making his special day just a little more special for so many others February
3: 29th is a unique day so Uh, If I can be at work and deliver a baby or two, that's a good day for me.
11: George Solis, NBC News, New Jersey, Leap Day 2024. Love seeing those Leaper babies.
0: All right, finally tonight, a special surprise in Nebraska. An Army National Guardsman reuniting with his twins at their elementary school after serving Afghanistan for nearly 10 months. Marlo Lundak from NBC's Omaha station was there for those emotional moments.
13: I'm with the Army National Guard and I've been gone for a little over nine months, and I'm here to surprise my seven-year-old twins.
10: Major Timothy Wobeg is home about a month early from his deployment to Afghanistan. He and his wife, Katie, knew this would be the perfect opportunity to surprise their two kids, Leela and Roman, at school.
13: To be honest, I am more comfortable walking through the streets of Afghanistan than I am standing here in the school right now waiting to say hi to my kids that I haven't seen in so long. For about 10 months, I've been thinking about it just uh, thinking about how they're gonna react or how I'm gonna react.
12: First
11: up, Leela. Robot.
12: Electronic signal now.
11: <laughs> the hug
10: they've been waiting months for. And the giggles too. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Just across the hall, Leela's unsuspecting twin brother, Roman.
13: How about you get your stuff, and then I'm going to go say, to hey, your brother, <laughs> okay?
10: Yeah. Now, it was his turn. Hey, budge. Oh, you can the family of four finally reunited.
3: Said it was eight, you know, I could go back. No,
13: no. I can
12: Mom says the big surprise was worth it. Just seeing the joy in your kids' eyes and, you know, being there to, yeah, support my husband as well, it was just surreal. Yeah. Nothing can prepare you for that moment.
10: What feelings were you feeling when you turned around and you noticed that your dad was standing right there behind you? I had to double check. <laughs>
11: Major Wobig says moments like these wouldn't be possible without support systems.
13: I always thought that I kind of had the easy job, but my wife has the hard job.
4: No, you had the hard job.
13: But uh, all the other families out there with service members, um, thank you for all their support. It's not easy, but um, it would be so much harder if we didn't have our families.
0: We want to thank the Wobig family for sharing that moment with us and also for their service and their sacrifice. And we thank you for watching Top Story tonight. I'm Tom Yamas in New York. Stay right there. More news on the way:
8: Primary season is here. If you've got voting questions, we've got voting answers. Visit NBCnews.com/plan your vote. You'll find when and how to vote in your state's primary election. Visit NBCnews.com/plan your vote today.